Now, if you've been here for the last several weeks, you know we've been working through Matthew, and we're just kind of back up in Matthew 19 and just review for a second. So if you've not been here, we're going to catch you up. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, is where some children being brought by their parents were trying to come to Jesus Christ, and the disciples were hindering those children and their parents from coming. And that led to a rebuke, and the disciples then let the kids come, Jesus was able to pray for these kids, and what, what the disciples saw in that moment was a group that was apparently, in the disciples' minds, not important enough to get to Jesus, a group that was really in last place, was brought to the front of the line and made first place. Now that had to be enlightening for the disciples. And then in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 and following, we see a rich young man come to Jesus. Now, the disciples don't have any problem letting him come. You see, he was rich. He was significant. He was religiously minded, spiritually minded. He came wanting to know how he might earn eternal life. And Jesus Christ made it clear to this young man that earning eternal life is impossible. This young man who was seemingly in first place walked away from Jesus Christ in eternal life. Last place. That had to be enlightening for the disciples. They wanted to know who could be saved then. You see, it was impossible if it's left up to our efforts and our abilities. Salvation's impossible to earn because it's already been by. But it's made possible by God. Not only is eternal life made possible in, in impossible circumstances, but anyone who follows after Christ and because of that loses a great deal in this life. In other words, if anyone in this life because of following Jesus Christ become last place in this life, in the kingdom of heaven, they'll be made first place. See, Jesus Christ said it like this, the, the last will be made first, and the first will be made last. And right after Jesus finished saying that statement in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, he told a story. Matthew chapter 20, he tells a story, and he begins the story by saying this, the kingdom of heaven is like now, when Jesus begins the story, and he begins it with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, what he's wanting us to understand that he's fixing to tell a story that can convey truth about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that has come with his first coming, the kingdom that is fully going to come with his return. So Jesus is trying to help us understand how his kingdom coming with his first arrival is to affect how we live our lives now. We are to live our lives under his rule. And so when he says, I want to tell you about the kingdom of heaven, what he's telling us is meant to affect us. But also it's meant to help us understand a coming reality. He wants us to know what the kingdom of heaven will be like when Jesus Christ returns in all his glory. 
So when you hear the words, the kingdom of heaven is like, you need to be thinking in your minds, I'm fixing to understand something about a future reality that is meant to create a present response in the followers of the king. So Jesus is telling us a story about a future reality that's meant to affect a present response in us. Now let's get to the story. We're going to break down the story in Matthew chapter 20 into four scenes. And we're just going to walk through each scene together. Scene number one is found in verses 1 through 7. So let's read this together. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is a landowner, who went out early to hire workers for his vineyard. After he agreed with them for one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went about the third hour, and he saw others standing in the marketplace idle. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is just, I will give to you. And they went. And again he came about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and he did likewise. And then he went about the eleventh hour, and he found others standing, and he said to them, Why are you standing here all day long idle? And they said to him, Because no one would hire us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard. Now, that's scene one. Scene one begins by telling us that the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. That's a huge clue for us to how Jesus is going to convey something about the kingdom of heaven. He's going to convey some truths about the kingdom of heaven that we should not miss. And he's going to do it primarily through the landowner. The landowner is the focus of communicating these aspects of the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to be looking at the landowner, trying to figure out what Jesus Christ is communicating about the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are some workers that the landowner has gone out to hire. And this first group of workers that the landowner has gone out to hire is a group he went out and found early in the morning. They're down at the workforce commission. I mean, they're hanging out, wanting a day job to get wages for the day. They're not a part of a, uh, a, a, a household. They're not previously hired. They are without work, kind of like indigent workers. They just need a job for the day to try to make ends meet. Then the landowner goes down there and hires this first group and actually has a conversation with them about what he's going to pay them. And the landowner promises to pay them what would be considered a day's wages, a denarius, what they would earn for working the entire day. They agreed. They went into the vineyard. Then for some reason, the landowner decides to go back again in a few hours, and he finds some other guys in the marketplace who are just standing around waiting to be hired, and he sends them to the vineyard. And the story tells us he does that several more times until we get to the 11th hour, which is the fifth time he's gone there to hire people. The 11th hour would have been 5 o'clock. So at 5 o'clock, with just one hour left in the workday, the landowner landowner goes to the marketplace and finds this group. Now you notice in the story there's a break in the way the details are being covered. You see, when we get to the 9 o'clock, the 12 o'clock, and the 3 o'clock, Matthew just says, as Jesus communicated, he did likewise. But when we get to the 11th hour, Jesus gives us some detail here. It's to draw attention to the one-hour worker. 
these guys are in the marketplace, and the landowner says to these one-hour workers, why are you standing around in the marketplace? You've been here all day. What's your problem? And these guys respond with a very interesting response. They say, no one will hire us. So what we've just found out about these one-hour workers is that they've been there all day, they've been available to be hired, they've been trying to get a job, and nobody would hire them. They are undesirable. But this landowner tells these guys at 5 o'clock, I want you to go into my vineyard. We don't know how far it is to the vineyard, but they make their way there, and when they get there, everybody's fast at work. And then it comes to 6 o'clock, the end of the work day, and it's time for paychecks. Now we enter scene number 2. Read with me verse 8. And when evening came, the master of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and give to them the wage, beginning from the last to the first. So the landowner calls his foreman and gives him specific instructions. Does this, does this ring a bell here? Now think about it. If you go and you're working somewhere and you know everybody else has worked many more hours than you and it's time to get paid and you've only worked really less than an hour. I mean, they had to make their way to the vineyard. We don't know how long that took, but they worked less than an hour. But we're going to call them the one-hour worker. When the one-hour worker shows up, for the paycheck, do you think he's going to be running to the front saying, okay, I suspect that his tendency would be to hang in the back knowing that everybody else deserves to be paid before he does because he barely even put in an hour of work. But the foreman is told you are to begin with the last and you are to bring them to the front first. Now, what Jesus doesn't tell us at this point in the story is how much they are to be paid. But the landowner told the foreman exactly what to pay. Look at verse 9. And those that were hired in the 11th hour, they came and they received one denarius. I think about what it would be like in that moment to be the one-hour worker. The landowner communicated to everybody hired after the first group that he would give them whatever is just, whatever is right. The one-hour worker goes to get paid and they receive a full day's wages. Does that sound just to you? What happened? Somewhere between the landowner sending these guys into the vineyard and the pay time, the landowner decided that he would give to the one-hour worker a full day's wages. If you're that one-hour worker, are you excited in that moment? You're thinking, I just hit the jackpot. I got 12 hours pay for one hour's work. Do you need anybody tomorrow? 
I can show up at five o'clock again. I mean, you love this experience. You've got to be excited. You've got to be thrilled that for some reason, the landowner has not given you what is just, but has actually given you what is generous and gracious. Now, they're not the only group that's excited. You see, at the back of the line is the 12-hour worker. And he's just seen what's gone down, and he's doing the calculations in his head. And he's thinking to himself, if the one-hour worker got paid a whole denarius for one-hour work, I work 12 hours, I'm fixing to clean up. So he's waiting to get up there. And, and notice at this point in the story, we've narrowed the story down to the contrast between the one-hour worker and the 12-hour worker and what the landowner is doing between the two. So we're fixing to experience something about the landowner that's given us a clear picture through the contrast, the one-hour worker and the 12-hour worker. Now let's read together verse, verse 10. Those who were paid first, they came. I mean, those who were hired first came. They were thinking that they would receive more. They're ready to cash in. And they received one denarius also. So here they are walking to get paid. And the landowner hands them the same amount that he just handed the people who had just worked one hour. These workers had worked for 12 hours and they received one denarius, the same as the one hour worker. If you're the 12 hour worker, how are you feeling at this moment? You're feeling a little ripped off? Feeling like maybe this isn't so just? What is the problem here with us getting the same amount after we've slaved away all day long in the worst of conditions, bearing the heat of the day? What is the deal? And they become complainers. Scene number three. Read verse 11. After they received, they grumble against the landowner. And they say, these last ones worked one hour and you have made them equal to us who bore the weight of the day in the scorching heat. They're complaining because they sense some injustice. They feel like they've been ripped off. Now notice that their concern is not on what they've been paid, but on what the one who's least deserving has been paid. They're not complaining that they didn't get what they were told they would get. They're complaining that these guys who were undeserving, least deserving, got so much. They felt ripped off. They obviously felt like they deserved more. If we're just honest for a moment, can you at least sympathize with these 12-hour workers? 
I mean, have you ever felt like you've been ripped off before? I remember one time when I was in college, uh, I think it was my freshman year of college, and it was coming up on a break when I could go home, and I was excited about getting home, and it was about a 10-hour drive uh, from where I went to school to where I was at home. And I was having some problems with my car that I needed to get fixed before I made the 10-hour drive. It was problems with my, my brakes and, and my wheels. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't have a clue really what, what all that stuff was. And so I took it to this mechanic that I thought could do a good job. And he began to list out what needed to be fixed. He says, you need to fix this and that and this and that. And we'll take care of it. We'll get you on the road and you can get home. And I'm excited because I want to get home. And I'm like, yeah, I pay the bill. They say they fix this, that, this, and that. And so I'm on the road. I'm headed home. And uh, the last hour or so of the trip, things are not feeling so good in my car. It's getting a little bit shaky. It's kind of making me a little bit nervous. Things aren't running just right. And so when I get into town, I pull into the mechanic, and I take it to him, and I say, hey, I, I've just made it here. My car's not doing right. Something's wrong with the front tires. And uh, I just took it to a place, and they fixed this and that and this and that. And they took it in. They took a look at it, and he came back out, and he says, I don't know what they told you, but they didn't fix this, and they didn't fix that. They didn't fix this or that, and you're lucky to have made it here. Let me tell you, I was hacked off. I was mad because I'd been ripped off. You see, I had, I had made a deal with a mechanic, and he had said that he would be true on that deal, and he wasn't. And I ended up paying twice for the same repairs. Is that fair? Not fair at all. I got ripped off, no doubt about it. But notice the distinct difference between truly getting ripped off and what happened with the workers. The workers agreed with the landowner to receive one denarius for 12 hours of work. They got exactly what they deserved. What they hated about this whole experience was that somebody else who was least deserving got so much. They had a problem with the landowner's generosity. Well, let's look at the landowner's defense. Verse 13. The landowner answered one of them and he said, Friend, I have not been unjust toward you. Did you not agree with me for one denarius? So take what is yours and go ahead and go. But I wish to give the same to the one who's last. Is it not lawful for me to do what I want with what is mine? Or is your eye evil? Is your eye envious? Because I am good. Notice what the landowner did. He says to the representative of the complainers, I gave you exactly what I promised you received what you deserved. Just because I wanted to do more for the least deserving doesn't mean that I've not been just with you. 
this landowner is meant to be understood by us, the hearers of the story, as a picture of something in the kingdom of heaven. And I believe Jesus has given us a huge clue as to how we are to understand who this landowner represents. Notice in verse 15 that the landowner says, or is your eye evil because I am good? That's a specific word choice by Jesus to bring to the attention of the disciples his conversation with the rich young man. You remember the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is one who is good. And what does the landowner say? That he is good. What does Jesus want us to understand about this story? That God is a lot like this landowner. Before that will mean anything to you, like it should mean, you have to understand that you are a lot like the one-hour worker. Until you and I get that we are like the one-hour worker, we will not understand the significance that the landowner is a great picture of who God is. I just want to be honest with you for a second. Just think with me. You know who finds it easiest to identify with the one-hour worker? It's the person who is lost in their sin and cannot find their way out. But the sad thing is, often that person's the last one to come for payment because they know they deserve nothing. I think the truth is that most of us find it easier to identify with the guys who have been hired for different time frames. And granted, most of us in here would not be as brash enough to say, hey, I'm the 12-hour worker. I've done it all. I've fulfilled every obligation. I've, I am deserving of what God owes me because I have fulfilled everything that He's asked me to do. I mean... I doubt that there's anybody in here like that, but there may be some of us who find it somewhat, somewhat easy to identify with the guy who's worked nine hours. I've been going to church all my life. I've given up this. I've done this. I've counted this cost. Maybe the nine hours is too much of a stretch. Maybe you can identify with the guy who's worked three hours and you feel like you're a little bit more deserving. But the reality is, every single one of us in this place is the one-hour worker. We've done nothing, virtually nothing, to deserve any grace from God. The truth is, the biblical truth is, that every single person in this room has sinned against a holy God. And because of our sin, 
If we operate in the economy of demanding what we deserve based on what we've done, we're going to find out that eternal life is impossible. We're also going to find out that once we begin to follow Jesus Christ, that his economy has not changed. The cost that you may incur for following Jesus Christ do not enable you to be deserving of something from God. No matter what you've done, you will always be the one-hour worker. And let me just tell you, that's exactly where we want to be. Because it's the one-hour worker that receives such amazing favor from God. God's a lot like that landowner. That landowner owned everything he had and could do anything he wanted with what he owned. God is sovereign like that. He owns everything he's created, is in complete control of everything under his rule, and he can do anything that he wants to do. The landowner wanted to give generously to the least Deserving. Do you know what that means? That God wants to be generous in His grace towards those who are least deserving of His grace. If that's not an invitation to identify with the one hour worker, I don't know what is. If that's not an incredible picture of who God is, I don't know what is. God is a God who loves, who wants, who has chosen to take from what is His and lavish upon us His immeasurable, extravagant, generous grace. He wants to give His grace to the least deserving. So you may be here this morning and you can right now readily identify with being the least deserving of the favor of God. I want you to to hear this. God wants, He wants to give you His grace. And if for some crazy reason this morning you can't identify with ones who's least deserving, And recognize the standard of a holy God compared to our lives makes every one of us least deserving. Just the same. There are no three-hour workers, six-hour workers, nine-hour workers in this room. We are all sinners before a holy God, least deserving. But thank God that he's told us he's like this landowner. That he wants to pour out his grace on the least deserving. It's impossible for us to be saved. But God made it possible. It's impossible for us to be rewarded for anything we've done for God. Because everything we've done for God is tainted by our sin. Everything we've done for Him is somehow missing the mark. And yet God finds a way to reward us because of what He has done in and through us because of Christ. 
He made it possible for salvation. And as we follow him, we discover that he's making all of that possible. And then we discover when he gives his rewards, they were all given to us, not because of what we've done, but because of what his grace made possible. And then we understand for the first time in, in our lives that Jesus Christ has made possible the way to experience the generosity of God in both eternal life and rewards in the kingdom of heaven. And the reason we know that Jesus Christ has made this possible is because these passages are all tied together by the little phrase that we see in verse 16. Thus, the last will be first and the first last. That ties us together with the previous story or account. We see the children coming, exemplifying the last, becoming first. We see the rich young man exemplifying the last of the first, becoming last. And then Jesus Christ says, that after he talks about rewards, that the last will be first, the first will be last. We see this whole picture of the impossibility of salvation if it depends upon us and the rewards that we will receive for following Christ and counting the cost. That whole section is tied together with this story which conveys that the generosity of God is made possible because it's what God wants and it's who He is. But we are still left with the question, what about the justice of the landowner? Because what he just did is not just. For God to give his grace to the least deserving, he is not just. But Matthew tells us why God is still just and generous. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 19. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem and he takes his 12 disciples alone with him and along the way and he says to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, and scourged, and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised up. How is it that God can be generous towards the least deserving? Because God laid upon Jesus Christ all our sin. Because God put on Christ all our shame. Because God put on Christ all of our iniquity. Because Christ bore our sin and our shame. God can be just in handing out generously His grace to every single least deserving person in the world who trusts in Jesus Christ. How do you get to the front of the line where God's handing out His generosity and grace? You trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How do you experience the grace of God that will change your life now and forever? You trust in Jesus Christ. You see, this present reality, this future reality of the kingdom of heaven is to create in us a present response. If there's a present response that's to be created in us, it's simply understood best as we are to follow Jesus Christ. 
There is no way to experience the generosity of God in grace now and in eternity outside of following Christ. You're going to think about what does following Christ look like in terms of this story. It really looks like exalting Christ as first place in everything. Every decision, every thought, every action, every dream, every hope, every bit of your possessions, all of your plans, everything you do at work. Are you exalting Christ as first? That's what it means to follow Christ. I want to follow you. I want to know what your book says. I want to know that what you say here is impacting my life. I want to see this coming out in my life so that I put you first in all things. You need to follow Christ. If you want to experience this future reality of the generosity of God, then you will put Christ first in all things. Because Christ is the one who became last so that we might become first. One of the greatest ways that you can put Christ first in your life is to be content with being last in this life. To accept that following Christ just might mean that you are last in this life. And be okay with that. Because you know in the economy of the kingdom of heaven, those who are last are made first. And if you want to be content with being last, I don't know if you need to do it on a post-it note. I don't even need to do a three-by-five card you put on your, your dash in your car. I don't, I don't know if you need to write it on your mirror in erasable markers. I don't know what you need to do, but somehow get into your mind the reality that you are the one-hour worker. Don't ever begin to think that you're not. If you ever begin to live like you're not the one-hour worker, you're in danger of missing on the generosity of God. And strangely enough, this little story has taken us back to Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, where Jesus says, unless you humble yourself as a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Strangely enough, this little story has taken us all the way back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God's a lot like this landowner. He has chosen to offer his generous grace to all those who follow Jesus Christ. And it begins for you and I with humility. Where we humble ourselves because we recognize our need for grace. No matter what you do the rest of your life in following Jesus Christ, when the kingdom of heaven is consummated, when it comes in full with Christ's return, and he lavishes upon you gifts and rewards, you know what you're going to say? Nothing I ever did is deserving of this. This is unimaginable grace. I'm just a one-hour worker. That's what God's grace does in those who receive it. Listen, there is nothing like being 
a one-hour worker in the kingdom of heaven when God is the landowner. So follow Jesus Christ. Decide. Make a decision today to follow Christ.